What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things. We contemplate them. We turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're talking about the closing of the Getwell Church of Christ. Folks, I have mixed emotions over this. I'm really introspective about the state of the Lord's church in this day and age. I try not to be gloom and doom. I do know that the church has survived very bad things over the course of the last two uh, uh, millennia. Well, probably over the course of the last two centuries, but for in the last 2,000 years, I mean, the church has been attacked. Her members, God's people, have been tortured and murdered and killed and maimed and all of that good stuff. And the church just, it stays. She stays. So on one hand, I don't want you to be like, well, Tony, just he's lost faith in the Lord's church. He's going, you know, he's going off the deep end or something like that. And I also don't want this podcast to come across as hypercritical. I do think we must be critical and a little bit cynical. But if we are hypercritical, then we kind of fall into the category of provoking your children to wrath. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, think about a a father with his children. If he is so hypercritical of his children, where nothing they can do is ever good enough, then he's going to break those children. And and we see it a lot. In fact, my wife helps a lot of children like that. But if a father is training up his child in the way he should go, spending time having a relationship with his child, uh, creating a, a, a healthy relationship with his child that's not codependent, that's not, that's not pathological, then that child would be a very well-adjusted child going into adulthood that is able to function and thrive in the world. Well, that's kind of the way a congregation is, and that's kind of the way we need to be. If we look at the Lord's church and we look at every single thing that's wrong with people, and I'm, I'm, I've used the air quotes here, well, we're going to draw such a close line, and, and not that anything I'm going to talk about today, nothing is about fellowship, but this thought just hit me. If we do this with people, if we do this with congregations, if we do this with the church as a whole, we will end up being so hypercritical and gloom and doom that we will draw, we will end up drawing a, a, a ring of fellowship, a boundary of fellowship that is so tight that we're the only ones in it. And even Jesus is a little suspect because we'll be hypercritical. I've, I've heard people be critical of, of the, some of the things that Jesus did. Like, well, he shouldn't have done that. Or he, he did this when he should have done that. I'm like, y'all are nutters. There, there's, there's, that's not even a conversation I'm willing to have. So I guess I, I want to I be very, very careful here. And I want to I start by extolling the virtue of the legacy of the Get Well Church of Christ. Some of the sermons that I've heard are from the Spiritual Sword Lectureship, and they are some of the sermons that have impacted my ministry and my preaching style the most. 
and the spiritual sword publication of which or for which I am thankful that house to house, heart to heart is taking over that work. So I'm glad about that. But as far as the congregation, just being in existence, this should be a cautionary tale for every one of us that when a congregation reaches a critical mass, I don't know what that mass is. You know, I know congregations that are thriving that are five, six, seven, eight hundred members, and I know congregations that uh, never get above much more than a hundred members or so. And the the congregation of of close to a thousand has not reached critical mass where the congregation of a hundred has. And I can tell from the way the congregants are and how the leadership leads in the one hundred member congregation that they have peaked and there's nowhere to go from here but down unless they change their ways. Folks, that's why Get Well Church of Christ is a cautionary tale. I think about the auto manufacturers and stuff in the United States during President Obama's term, and they had this great bailout. Those companies thought they were too big to fail. I wonder if congregations that have closed their doors or congregations that, like, were in the, in the 80s and 90s, two and three, maybe 400 members that have dwindled down to 50 or 60 members or even 30 members, I wonder if they at one time thought, well, we're too big to fail. And, and obviously they have left something out of how they order themselves, of how they work. I, I go to the book of Revelation and I think about what Jesus said about the church in Ephesus. Now, again, I, I shouldn't have to say this, I should have, you should interpret everything I say through a, 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 a filter of 1 Corinthians 13. I am not talking about the Get Well Church of Christ here. I'm just talking about any congregation that reaches that critical mass and thinks, well, we're too big to fail. I wonder somewhere along the line, they left their first love and they started functioning more as a secular institution and less like the Lord's church. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation. I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to get to your comments, but I'm kind of I'm passionate about this. It has affected me on a, on a deep emotional level. And even though I'm rather stoic right now, I've, I've had some furrowed brow, and um, I haven't wept, but I've, I've shed a tear or two. All right. Until the angel of the church at F... I can't see, y'all. Let me get my trusty rusty e-sower so I can see. I got a, I, I, I don't have, I have a large print New Testament that I hang around on my desk with or that I have hang around on my desk and it's in my bag across the room. So, um, I got to go to the eye doctor, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right, here we go. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, right, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And I'm like, when I'm reading this, I'm like, Jesus, how could you have somewhat against these people? Well, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, what is the remedy? Because that's what I'm going to focus on today. What is the remedy of the congregation in Ephesus? 
Listen, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. If you are estranged from your spouse, and you want to reconcile with your spouse, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, change your mind, which leads to a change of ways, and do the first works. If you have a congregation that in 1990, the decade of the 1990s, was 300 members, the decade of the 2000s was uh, uh, 200 members, the decade of the 2010s was 100 members, and now you're going into the 2020s and, and you're creeping down there towards 100 members, remember, look back and remember from whence thou art fallen, change your mind about where you are now, and then do the works that you were doing whenever you were where you wanted to be. And that is, folks, that is such a simple concept that nobody anywhere should ever have a problem with it, but I have never preached that to a congregation that I didn't get pushback and excuses and blame shifting. I even had some people at one congregation try to gaslight me when I had picture proof of their attendance that, no, we never were that big. I'm like, then, then I've got this picture that for two weeks you were really close to 300 members. Was that just a fluke? You know, you had four or five elders and six or seven deacons. And then there was a, and anyway, I, I had some people there that tried to gaslight me. And then the, then it doesn't matter what congregation you're in. Everybody has the same excuses. Well, people have moved off. People don't want the gospel anymore. This, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, okay. And I'm a truth teller. I don't like your excuses. I think they're all stupid. And anybody that's got a problem with me using the word stupid, go read Proverbs 12, 1. It, it shows that you're brutish, that you're, that you're not capable of being introspective in the moment. You are capable. Everybody's capable of being introspective. But when we offer up those excuses, we are damaging ourselves. Well, the congregation used to be 200 members 20 years ago. Now it's 50 members and none of it's our fault. We didn't, we're not culpable in anything. It's just look at how the people have changed. Nobody wants the gospel and all of these people have moved off and, and we've had members die and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, you got to be honest. You got to be real with where you are. So you got to go back and, and look. All right. You got to, you got to think about where you were and then you got to repent. The only way you can repent of the situation you're in is to be honest with where you are now versus where you were, which is where you want to be. And then you got to do the first works. What happened in the congregation that was 300 members that is now 50 members? What were we doing whenever we were 300 members? You know what I hear? Oh, we were in each other's homes. We met four or five times a week. We had ice cream socials. We had events in the community. We had community outreach. We were so active and we had devotionals and we had food. When I say food drives, understand what I mean by that. You know, we had, we had benevolence and they were doing all of these things. And then I'm like, okay, well, where's all that now? Oh, well, we're just not big enough to do that now. We don't have the budget to do that now. We don't hogwash. 
hogwash. You have hit that critical mass. You thought you were too big to fail. You thought you had arrived. So you, as John D. Barry says, I stole this from him. You sit down on your behind of do nothing. You lean back on your elbows to do less. You prop up your feet of apathy. You put in your thumb, you pull out a plum and you look at that plum, which represents this huge congregation. And you say, I'm a good boy. And you go stagnant. I think I need to. I think I need to look at the chats. Um, let's see. Good to see everybody. Uh, John X, I'm good to see you. Uh, hello there. And for those of you that comment, and I don't, com I don't, I don't say your name. Uh, if you'll look on the screen, you'll see why. That's all I get from you. But it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Rusty Kirby, good morning, everybody, and good morning to the other gentleman or, or lady, as the case may be. Sheila Cole, hello. Terry Crooks, Rita Keelan, there will always be a remnant of God's people. You got that. And, and I think you probably commented that back in the beginning of the show whenever I was like, look, it's, it's easy to get gloom and doom. I, I, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I guess I'm going to speak ill of the dead. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, 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 anyway. He was, a, he was an excellent political commentator, but I think sometimes, and again, this is criticism, and he's not here to defend himself, so it's real easy, right? I think sometimes, at least in my younger days, I thought this, he's real easy at pointing out problems, but he doesn't offer very many solutions. Of course, he wasn't really in the solution business. He was in the pointing out business, so in his defense, he was doing what he was supposed to do. So uh, you can get real, e it's real easy to point out the problems. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to foment uh, or facilitate the, the solutions. Um, the church will always exist. It does not mean that there will not be hardships and congregational clothing. And Katie Smith, glad to catch you live today. Well, I'm glad to be caught live today. And uh, Robert Lady, hello, hello. Yeah, John Exum, yeah, Get Well holds a good place in my heart. I was privileged to attend their lectures while at MSOP. I have read the spiritual sword prior to MSOP. Sad to see her closing her doors. Absolutely. And uh, this this person here says, I have uh, been through such with two congregations. It's always a bittersweet time. Absolutely. Yeah, Sheila, I, I was, well, I wasn't shocked. I, I was thinking Getwell probably needed to shut its doors almost, you know, close to 10 years ago. Whenever I was at Memphis School of Preaching, um, I, I I was I was I was absolutely flabbergasted. And I hope y'all can't hear that water heater going. If you can, we're just going to deal with it. I was absolutely flabbergasted in 2014, 2013, 2015 that Getwell was able to stay open. Like, there's no way you can have this property in Memphis, Tennessee, in this location. Uh, and, and paying a preacher and having people on staff and this, that, and the other and, and upkeep on this building and property taxes and stuff like that. And, and I don't know, maybe churches, maybe, maybe, maybe they've got something worked out with the city of Memphis where they don't have to pay property taxes. If you're a religious organization, I wouldn't know, but I could be just talking out of turn, but I'm like, you don't, you don't have enough income to, 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 to exist now. And then it kept getting smaller and smaller as the years went by. Um, yeah, I w yeah. so I, I wasn't shocked. 
like it, it would i was flabbergasted i'm like oh man like i was deflated but but I, i'm sad to say i wasn't shocked i expected it years ago um john x was glad to see y'all survive the zombie apocalypse we didn't have that we didn't have that test in canada john um yeah and we're too small to grow yeah well you okay so that's that you said the opposite you got that right there's two spectrums we're too small to grow and we're too big to fail the the farther you the closer you get to either one of those spec spectrums the 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 less chance you have of actually surviving yeah uh ted okel cheney says uh i heard this one the old folks died and the kids either moved away or no longer come yes and and i but i didn't even finish this thought whenever i was talking about that so every time i hear that every time i hear that excuse you know what i do i go to google and i look up the census reports backwards you know what i found the population size has remained virtually unchanged. I take, for instance, Greenfield, Tennessee. Greenfield, Tennessee has a congregation of the Lord's people that last I checked was, it was more than 200 and less than 300 members. They're a vibrant congregation. They're working. They're, they're there in the community. Um, Greenfield Church of Christ, I mean, Greenfield, Tennessee, has been around 2,000 people, uh, 2,000 in population for years and years and years. So what's the deal? You got me? In fact, I mean, God, God love them, the good people at, at Get Well. They can't use that excuse because whenever they were, whenever they built Get Well, they built that in a suburb type location and it was the affluent part of town and then the city grew up around them so the population actually got more dense denser or more dense anyway so they don't even have that excuse and uh sometimes i wonder if i'm a failure i serve for a small congregation i'm trying my best to seek and constantly improve the song that i sing jonathan i sing it just about every time i get a chance to lead singing is little as much when God is in it. Is the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? Well, it is great if God is in it and he will not forsake his own. Do not fall into that trap, my brother. The congregation up here, we had 35 last Sunday. We're not big. The church is the most important institution in any community. There can be several factors in churches drying up, but it's very sad. Hold on a second. It's very sad that, yeah, I think there's a typo, Lavinia, because it's very sad, correct, that is. I, I'm, I'm, I, usually I'm pretty good at deciphering people's typos, but you lost me on that one. But yes, you are correct. There are many different, um, oh, come on. There are many different factors that, that, um, there are many different factors that go into a congregation closing its doors. 
Um, oh, okay, right here. You are correct that this situation should cause us to evaluate and seek to avoid this happening in the future. I got you, Lavinia. You, that, that, you, it wasn't a typo. I think you hit enter too early. <laughs> and good morning, Angie P. Yeah, if the seed is planted, God will supply the increase. Doing nothing, a congregation will grow old and die. And Terry Crook says, people today have access to knowledge, but know nothing. They want to rely on their own intellect rather than the word of God. The congregation where I am is trickling down as the women's position rise. Wow. Yeah, that's rough. So again, I don't know exactly what happened with get well. But I think that we can know enough. Let me let me go to the article, and um, I'm going I'm, It's just a few minutes to read it. I'm gonna go to the article, and then I've got some. I've got a list of things that are ten ways that a maybe ten. I can't remember how many, but there there are several ways for a congregation to remain relevant. And Lavinia's right. the 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 Lord's Church is the most important institution in a neighborhood, in a community. And let me tell you, I, I'm, I put people's feet to the fire. I asked this question. Hello, Gita. It's good to see you. Um, so Katie Smith, let me, let me get that before we go forward. Uh, I would say that numerical number in attendant in attendance isn't a direct corollary to its faithfulness. You're 35 and your congregation might be bigger, might be a bigger number in regards to work ethic and faithfulness than the 35 in my congregation who seem to be complacent. That is brutal. And it is 100% true. I, I don't suggest that you go out and watch the movie 300. I watched it whenever I. I was a heathen and I have no, I had no scruples about what I watched, but this illustration stands King Leonidas and his bold 300 met Xerxes at the, at the hot gates at Thermopylae and the Akkadians, the Akkadians from the, the Greece, the Akkadians or the, the Athenians, the Athenians and the Akkadians. Anyway, the Greek, the, the, the other nations of Greek, Greece sent some troops and they met. So this one army met Leonidas. I, I think it was Akkadian or Athenian. Anyway, this, this one group met Leonidas and his bold 300 and the general of though of that army said, Leonidas, I thought you were going to the hot gates to help us hold off, um, Xerxes. I, it was rumored that you had an army. And he point the movie is just it plays this very well. The, the in the movie, King Leonidas points his spear, said, You there, Akkadian or Athenian or whatever. What is your profession? Well, I'm a cobbler. What is your profession? Well, I'm a baker. What is your profession? I'm a blacksmith. And then uh, this this makes me emotional. Then he Slams the butt of his spear down the ground, says, Spartans, what is your profession? And with one, they go, whoo, whoo. He looks at the general and says, you see, good friend, 
I've brought more soldiers in my army than you did with yours. Not all soldiers of the cross are created equal. What is your profession? Are you walking worthy of it? Or do you consider yourself a factory worker who is a Christian so he can get through this world and go to heaven? That's rough. That's rough. Katie, Katie, that's terrible what you said. <laughs> Brutally, brutal truth, brutal truth. But it is correct. And, and just, you know, remember when I speak of, that's it. My profession is that Christ is my Lord and I'm his slave. That's all I can do. I told, I told somebody the other day, if you can help it at all, please don't be a gospel preacher. Go do something else. If you, even if all you can do is go flip hamburgers. If you can go flip hamburgers and be satisfied with that, then then please go do it and don't be a gospel preacher. That's pretty deep. Think on it. Don't 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 get mad at me. Just think on it. Now, um, when I talk about, okay, I just want to be be clear with this. When I talk about, like for instance, that five six hundred member seven hundred member congregation, I'm not talking about a congregation that wouldn't be in fellowship with God. I'm talking about a congregation that's doing everything right. When I'm talking about that 100-member congregation, I'm not talking about a congregation of people who are doing are doing doctrinal things wrong. I'm talking about all things being equal as far as doctrine and liturgical service is concerned. How are we participating in the cosmos, as it were? All right? The Baptist Church down the road from Bay Church of Christ was above 200 members. There are no Christians in that number, okay? There are, there are more Christians in the little congregation at Bay than there is in the huge congregation of the Baptist Church. There are congregations in our brotherhood that hang a shingle on their sign that, that reads Church of Christ meets here, who might be 500 members strong, but they don't have as many Christians as we do in our little 30-member congregation. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I'm not going to read this article. I'm 30 minutes into it. I, I do want to hit the high points. Um, Getwell Church of Christ had a significant influence within the Christian brotherhood. Over the years, it served as more than a mere gathering place for worship. It was a spiritual entity with a purposeful community role. Now, here's the thing, brethren. I don't know what that role was because I wasn't at Getwell during the times of plenty. I don't know anything about Getwell during the times of plenty. I know that there's some who were, and they talk about the great things that get well did in the community and such. Um, yeah, it's Rob Collier. Good deal. Get well has such a rich history. History does not ensure a future. However, it should be a warning to us all and congregations need to take the more earnest heed. Get well started a school of preaching that would move to night on a road known as MSOP. So it will always have a legacy. Absolutely. 
And, um, yeah, Brother Garland Elkins used to preach there as well as Gary Colley. Did Glenn? No, I don't think Glenn ever preached there. But uh, who else was the? There was somebody else. Well, now I can't think of his name. There was the preacher at Get Well. I can picture him. I see him on Facebook. Oh, that's just terrible. My mind is going. But anyway, here, here's the deal. Back to the illustration of remember from where thou art fallen. So whenever the congregation gets goes from two or three hundred to a uh, hundred, what were you doing whenever you were two or three hundred? I don't want to be a hundred member congregation that used to be a 300 member congregation. So I want to go back to doing what we were doing whenever we were 300, because that's what got me the results. That's what got the results. Um, now Alan hires, no, no, neither one of those McDade, McDade, Gary McDade. Oh, right there. James Stafford. Yes. Gary McDade. Um, I went to the spiritual shore lectureships a few years ago and it was much smaller. I had a feeling it would close its doors. I believe some people got upset about something and left. Yep. That's probably, yeah. And that's so sad. And and I, I've seen that happen to congregations as well. And that, and, and again, the underlying problem there is, and, and I've, I've, I've known a lot of congregations and, and, and elderships that were guilty of this creating spiritually and religiously codependent congregations. I have two articles, one about heeding the divine call and the other just flat out talks about codependent religious and, 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 and spiritual codependent congregations. I suggest reading those articles. Um, we've got to get away from that. We've got to model the behavior of Jesus. Look, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you've got a set of ears, this is for you. You're responsible for implementing it. I don't hold your hand. I don't, I don't be the gospel police. I don't come to your house and rifle through your medicine cabinet and your refrigerator. I, God trusts you to act as a free moral agent. Then by God, the eldership and the gospel preacher is going to treat you as a free moral agent. That doesn't mean we don't have a standard. That doesn't mean we don't practice church discipline when it's needed. You got me. I don't want, I don't want to make the podcast about that, but yeah, charity seeketh not her own. So many seek their own and do not have the love they should. You got that right. And that is why so many leave a congregation. So again, I don't know what was going on in get well in the beginning that caused them to have so much success, but I dare say, go revisit that. And then you're not going to be able to just do tit for tat, line by line, create a, a, a 2023 analog of what was going on in 1973 or 1983 or even 1993. But you can take the core of what was happening and you can mold it and adapt it within the confines of this book right here, the Bible, and you can implement it in 2023. And I promise, is God with you or not? If he is, and he is, then you'll get the results. So even beacons of light can become dim 
when they fail to adapt to the changing scenery. Cultural and demographic shifts occurred around Get Well Church of Christ, with the neighborhood transforming in ways that were not reflective within the church. And I think that's Get Well's biggest problem. And I'm, I'm just going to be pretty blunt here. And I'm kind of known for my bluntness. One reason the Get Well Church of Christ dwindled is because they either needed to move to a affluent, white, suburban neighborhood and community, or they needed to stop trying to be the affluent, white congregation in an area with a shifting demographic. All right? What do I mean by that? Well, Get Well is now, Memphis has grown to the point where Get Well is almost considered the inner city. The last time I went to a lectureship there, um, one of the folks who is a retired policeman, he, he told me and the person I was with who were hanging around, he said, look, it's getting dark. Y'all need to get out of this neighborhood because it's dangerous. I'm like, well, ain't that terrible. I mean, how you how 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 are you gonna how are you gonna serve that community? How are you gonna get out and door knock and stuff like that if you're scared to hang around the church building after dark? You know. So my suggestion is, quit trying to be the white collar, suburban, affluent church congregation, or move. Something to think about. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The environment around Gitwell may have played a role as well. Not many people want to be in an area with much crime. Well, the, the thing about it is, Jonathan, and th this is why I'm saying that Gitwell is not a victim of something that happened. They are responsible for shutting the doors. And it's because they refuse to change. You know how many people live in that area with a whole lot of crime? Go go do your demographic studies and, or go do your, uh, I'm not saying like you, you, but just Google in that area how many, how many people per square mile there are or city block or whatever. Like there, it's, it's very densely populated and yeah, it's high crime. But I mean, there's congregations that are thriving in the continent of Africa where it's not the criminals you got to look out for. It's the police. Oh, we have it so easy in the United States. If I get pulled over in the United States or Canada and the officer starts asking me questions, I just hand him my license and say, I don't talk to police officers. Well, go do that in Nigeria or Cameroon. I don't talk to police officers. They'll pull you out and they'll beat you with an inch of your life. If that's all they do, you'll be lucky. So get well needed to change with the demographic. Uh, Rob Collier. Yeah. Country club congregations never survive these shifts. That's exactly right. Now, I don't know that get well was a country club congregation. It may be that they just didn't change fast enough. I don't know. I can't judge. I'm not there. I wasn't there. And it's real easy to armchair quarterback and Monday 
talk about all the things that the coach did wrong on Sunday. Um, but here's something, and this, this, I used, I learned a word for this article, inertia. So actually I, I typed out what I was trying to say, and then I went to Google and I looked for, uh, I looked, I put it in the thesaurus. All right. Look up inertia. I'm going to give you a dictionary definition. Inertia is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged properly, or excuse me, in physics, it's a property of matter by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force. All right. So what is the law of inertia? The, an object in motion will stay in motion unless it's enacted upon by an outside force. An object at rest will stay at rest unless it's enacted upon by an outside force. I believe, like many congregations across Western culture, United States and Canada, that they have reached critical mass, whether that's 500 members, 5,000 members, or 50 members, and they have succumbed, succumbed, they have, they have, they have fallen prey to inertia, the law of inertia. And now these congregations, it's difficult to turn them around. All right. It's difficult. Is it easy to go from, is it, how quickly do you go from zero to 60 in your car? You know, you can go from zero to 60 in your car. Excuse me. You can go from 60 to 120 in your car a lot quicker than you can go from zero to 60. I'm not going to tell you how I know that. So I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad that the, the spiritual sword publication is going to be taken over by house to house, heart to heart. Um, let's talk about some lessons for the future. Feelings of ambivalence in the wake of get well church of Christ closure are natural. However, this emotional crossroad is also a call to action for other congregations. It serves as a cautionary tale about the consequences of failing to align a church's mission with the needs of the surrounding community. Moreover, it stands as an opportunity of introspection, allowing us to revisit the teachings that mandate churches to be salt and light in their respective communities. Willie Bitson, I'm enjoying your teaching, brother. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, Mark Winja. Uh, watching from Malawi, Africa. Well, glad you're watching from Malawi. I used to keep aquarium fish, and there are three rift lakes in Malawi. Tanganyika, if I'm pronouncing that correct, Lake Victoria, and, and Lake Malawi. And my favorite fish come from uh, Tanganyika, and they are um, the frontosa. That's, anyway. Look those up. Big blue bump head, the six stripe cichlid, whatever. Anyway, let's talk about some, some things we can do to uh, stave off the effects of inertia, the burden of inertia. In other words, we have become complacent. We've hit critical mass, and now we're not moving. We don't want to be a country club church. And please understand, there's 27 of you watching. I am not saying Get Well became that. It may have. I mean, I, I, but I'm just, I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I do know is that get well congregation did not change and start serving the community. They were, they were get well church of Christ 
was not in the community they were serving. Because the people that attended Getwell Church of Christ, they didn't live in the same community that the building was in. Because, as Jonathan mentioned, the crime. So, we assess the community needs. Now, I did not come up with these. These are, some of them have a denominational slant. In other words, if you had a Baptist church hit critical mass and then start declining because of inertia, the way they're going to change is they are going to ignore some of the mandates, divine examples, and necessary inferences and commands in God's holy word. Because getting people in the building and getting them putting money into the coffers is of utmost importance. And they, I mean, they, they just, they feel like they, well, we can just do anything. That's, that's not, that's, we can't do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to filter and, 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 and correct some of these as we read them. And, and Rob, please, I, I know that you're not, uh, let me read your, let me read your comment. Not saying get well was a country club. So let me hasten to say that. I know of congregations who have building funds to move to a better neighborhood. Uh, this is a symptom of a bigger problem. We are only talking about it because it's get well. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, and more yes. And please, um, I, I, I hope you didn't feel as if I was singling you out and, and feeling like I had to mitigate for the audience what you said. I, 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 I was doing that more for me. So, But anyway, gotcha. And thank you, for, thank you for that comment. All right. So I'm going to filter some of these as we read them. Community needs assessment. Conducting regular assessments to identify the specific needs of the local community can offer insights to potential outreach programs. Whether it's addressing issues like poverty, education, or health, churches can craft interventions that directly benefit their community. Now, I will say this. It would have been easier to do this in 2005 instead what would have been easier not to ever fall prey to the inertia but it would be easier to do this when you've got when, when you're a 100 member congregation that used to be a 500 member congregation as opposed to a 30 member congregation that used to be a 500 member congregation in other words the longer you lay dormant the harder it is to get up and move it's just, it's brutal. And it makes me think about the uh, Matthew 11 rule in accounting. Uh, the more you have, the easier it is for you to get. The less you have, the harder it is for you to get. In other words, the rich keep getting rich and richer and the poor keep getting poorer. Go, go look that up. That's an interesting axiom and it's brutal. Um, awesome. No worries. Thank you, sir. Or brother. He, I ought to just talk, not worry so much sometimes. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, conducting regular assessments to identify the specific needs of the local community can offer insights into potential outreach programs. Whether it's addressing issues like poverty, education, or health, churches can craft interventions that directly benefit their community. And again, the sooner you do this, the easier it is to do. The, the more you wait, the harder it is to do. Cultural integration. This is the one I think that that are that that get well missed out on. Embracing the cultural diversity within the community by incorporating. Now, this is this is where the denominationally stuff comes in. Varied worship styles, music, 
y'all, we can't vary the worship or the music. But I think if I'm being honest, um, in Union City, Tennessee, there was, there is the Bishop Street, Bishop Street Church of Christ. And I think there's the Vine Street Church of Christ. I mean, like a lot of towns in the South, these congregations are a hundred years old and they were planted whenever there was the institutional a systemic racism in the South and before the advent of the civil rights movement and black people and white people were segregated. And that's, that's why you in the South, you still have the black church and the white church. It's not good. It's going to have to die out. You're not going to change it in the moment. It, it's a, it, it's going time is going to have to take care of it because as brother Graham McGill, uh, the gospel preacher at the Vine Street Church of Christ, I heard him say to a young man who was kind of berating Brother Graham McGill, well, how come there's a black church and a white church? How come the white church and the black church don't come together and, and, and merge? And Brother Graham McGill replied, and keep in mind, it's a black man to a, to a very young white man who was arrogant with the type of arrogance that only a very highly educated young man can have. Brother Graham said, well, son, what exactly do you suggest? Bishop Street's a good congregation doing a good work. Do you think that Bishop Street ought to shut its doors and submit itself to the leadership of the Vine Street Church of Christ and, and us become one, one congregation that way? Or what about Vine Street? Are we not a good congregation doing good work? Should we dissolve our congregation and attach ourselves to the Bishop Street Church of Christ? And, and, and be and be subsumed by the Bishop Street Church of Christ? Well, no. Do you think that we ought to completely dissolve both congregations and somewhere else, maybe on the outskirts of town, uh, have a congregation that is a new congregation? And that's, honestly, that's the, that's the utopian solution, but we don't deal with should and should nots. We deal with is or is nots. And that would be the people, people could come up with the idea. Well, that seems like a waste of money. You know, you, you've got two functioning congregations that serve the community in different ways. And quite frankly, whenever I, and I would go and visit when I would go and visit and, and hear brother Graham McGill, uh, they, the, the, the vine street church of Christ, they were more spirited and less formal, although they dressed much nicer than the Mount Zion Church of Christ that I was a part of or the Bishop Street Church of Christ that I also went and visited some. So they were different, different cultures, different demographics. Well, if, if in order for a congregation to achieve longevity, they have to be willing to integrate culturally. Well, how do you do that? If you have, let's say, we'll just do the black and white because we're in Western culture and in the United States of America, we have that terrible history. If, if some of the people from the quote-unquote black church come to the quote-unquote white church and they raise hands whenever they sing Amazing Grace, you got to keep your mouth shut. 
you got to not clutch your pearls and not judge them because they raise their hands. Ain't nothing wrong in that. Nothing in the Bible says you can't raise your hands. If they get a little bit more informally spiritual than you, you just got to let it happen. You got to be willing to adapt your worship style. And that's what I mean. I'm not talking about stuff that God has legislated. I'm talking about different styles that are matters of liberty and scruple. And you've got to be able to overlook it. You talking about integrating uh, cultural integration. Uh, the, the Riverview Church of Christ up here is pretty much a, a, a congregation that is made up of people from the continent of Africa, Mexico, Canada, and the United States. Ain't that cool? My daughter's trying to find a congregation in New Jersey. She said there are segregated churches there too. You got that right. It ain't nothing. It ain't just the South. She also found one with a piano and one with a rainbow flag. Well, I hate that. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> I, I guess I could say she didn't find a congregation of the Lord's people. <laughs> she just found a congregation. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. That's a guillotine laugh, by the way. That's a laugh that's born out of a, out of a, a, a oh, what's the, I've lost the word. That, that's a laugh born out of exasperation and anxiety. Because if I didn't laugh at the fact your daughter found a congregation with a piano and a rainbow flag, then the, then the other appropriate response would be to cry. Gallows humor. Yes, Rob. Yes. I think that goes back to the French Revolution whenever uh, the powers that be, they either retained their power or what happened. But anyway, all of the folks, they were marched to the guillotine and this weird phenomenon that they would bust out in laughter. And, uh, yeah, that it's, it's gallows humor. It's you laugh at it in order to deal with it anyway. So cultural integration, we gotta, we gotta be more open to people who have different styles of singing and praying and, uh, such like as we within the confines of the rules. Okay. Within the confines of scripture, um, Anyway, doing this can make the church more inclusive and appealing to a broader audience. Now, remember, what you draw them in with, you will have to keep them with. I am not saying that we cast aside the shackles of God's commands in order to make a quote-unquote community church. But we have freedom. Okay, we have freedom and I have seen people of different cultures co-mingle and the new person that has an odd culture be totally devastated and have the wind sucked right out of their sails because the folks that were there wasn't welcoming of that different culture. That's right. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. All right. Community collaboration. Now, this, this one's going to take some, some filtering, but I'm just going to read it and then correct it as I go. Partnering with local businesses, schools, and other community organizations. That does not mean that you enter into a yoke of fellowship with like the Chamber of Commerce or Walmart or something like that. But these things that are in the community 
Like, for instance, in Getwell, very high crime. Maybe there's drug counseling services and rehabilitation services and stuff like that. The church can be there and partner with those organizations that are in the community that are trying to help from a secular level and offer a spiritual sense. Whenever Labeth was in, I can't remember what it was, but she, she, it was in a, it was in a, it was in a rehab facility and all of, in the United States, the programs that really are effective for people to get off their addictions and stuff like that when they're in rehab, they are all faith-based. Why does the church not take advantage of that? I tell you who does take advantage of it. The Baptist, the Methodist, the Episcopalian, the Catholic, they all take advantage of that. Um, partnering with local businesses, schools, or other community organizations can foster mutual understanding and support. Such collaboration can lead to joint events or initiatives that serve both the community's physical and spiritual needs. Again, I'm not talking about like what was going on in Nehemiah when the people there said, hey, we serve your God just like you serve. We want to help you build this wall. We're not talking about partnering in this way. We're talking about, hey, there's a mom and pop grocery store down here. What we want to do is we want to partner with the mom and pop grocery store and give them 10 $100 cards and say, look, you know, 10 people that come in here week in and week out, take a hundred dollars worth of groceries, put it in a bag and put this flyer in it that says, this is from the mom and pop grocery store and the corner church of Christ. We love you. And we hope that you get better or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. Growing up in the Caribbean, I used to see a large number of people in some of the most crime ridden neighborhoods. It later turned out that many of these people were residents of those neighborhoods. Yes. And, and that's why I say that Getwell is not a victim of what happened. It, Getwell is not a victim of the changing demographics. Getwell is culpable in its own demise because it fell prey. It, it, when I say fell prey, that it succumbed to the burden of inertia. It just didn't change. And uh, Katie Smith, there is church-funded, supported rehab facility in Alabama. I believe my cousin went through that several years ago. Katie, yes, and so odd is that that I actually knew about it, that LaBeth knew about it. It's like, it's, it's like a unicorn. Now, in Jonesboro, there's a quote-unquote church-funded uh, rehab facility and counseling center, but it's supported as a work of the Southwest Church of Christ, and they are apostate. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's caused a lot of our congregations to dwindle is because we're so bent on not looking like a denomination that we don't even look like the Lord's church. What do I mean by that? Well, the denominations have an after-school program where whenever children get out of school, they have about three or four hours where they can go to the church building. They're, they, they're, they have a staff there that's qualified to, to be there. They've got the proper insurance and stuff like that. 
and they can play games, they can watch television, and they can get some healthy snacks, and they can talk to people that hold Christian values and build a, build a relationship with the church. Folks, there's, that is not unscriptural. But the Baptists do it, so the Church of Christ can't. Because the Baptists, they go to their quote-unquote sanctuary, their auditorium, they, they go in their auditorium through the front door, so us in the Church of Christ, we either have to go in the back door or climb through the window because the Baptists go in the front door and we can't be like the Baptists. Oh, shut your mouth. We have become so distinct that we become disfigured. <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. That, that hurts me. One, it hurts me and I didn't think of it. Your suggestion requires us to be good neighbors. We've forgotten how to be good neighbors. That's it. That's it. So anyway, I just want to reiterate, I'm not saying that we throw the Bible away. And I mean, because let's face it, if, as Katie said, you know, the number is not corollary to the, to the faithfulness. So if I had a, if I had a congregation of 35 people, and I don't want to make it 70 people real quick. I just advertise that, um, everybody, when they come through the door, gets a number. And at the end of the services, we'll draw a number and whoever, whoever gets that number gets 500 bucks. It wouldn't be long before you'd have several hundred in attendance. I'm not saying that we change God's will. I'm not saying we offer will worship, which has a show of wisdom. How's that in there? Let's go to Colossians. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. All right. Yeah. So we're not talking about will worship, which has a show of wisdom. I mean, Hey, you know what? If we had a, if we had a dance at the church building every month and invited all the community and let them play their worldly songs and dance in a worldly way, we might be able to sieve off some people and convert them from coming to the building to dance to coming to worship on Sunday. We might be able to do that. You think that's okay? Well, God forbid it's not okay. Jesus went to the community. The others would that others wouldn't have gone to. You got that right. And Katie says several denominations in my town actually have a life wise Academy that go into local schools for part of the day and teach Bible. Oh, Katie. That just gut punches me. Why can't we in the Lord's church do that? I'll tell you why. For that reason right there. Because we have become so distinct. We are now disfigured. And yes, what you win them with, you have to. Well, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Let me read your comment. What you win them with, you win them for. I, I'm going to have to chew on that. I thought you were typing. I thought you wanted to say what you win them with, 
you'll have to continue to do to keep them. I, I think I get this. What you win them with, you win them for. Oh, duh. That's a good, that's a good lesson. Okay. John chapter six, Jesus said, I know why you're here. You've come for the bread and the fishes. He had a huge crowd. So he, well, I think what you said is better, Katie. She, Katie said, that's what I meant. But no, I think what you win them with, you win them for. So Jesus won a lot of people with the bread and the fishes. But they were there. They were won for the bread and the fishes, not for his discourse. Well, Katie, you were accidentally genius. All right. Educational programs. This is going to be kind of a long program today. Educational programs offering workshops or classes that cater to the community's needs, such as ESL. Now, that wouldn't so much apply to the Getwell congregation, but I tell you what it would apply to here in Riverview. It would apply to, or I tell you what it would apply to here in Riverview. ESL is English as a second language. There's so many immigrants here in Canada and everything that we could actually teach English as a second language to immigrants that come in. Anyway, financial literacy seminars. There are some, there, every congregation is made up of professionals. I know at the Forest Hill Church of Christ, they have several members who are lawyers and they are accountants and stuff like that. And Forest Hill Church of Christ could offer financial, in fact, I say they could, they have offered financial literacy seminars. Anyway, job trainings and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with the church saying, hey, we are here. I'm feeding you with physical stuff because I want to train you to come to me for what you need to be full. And then I'm going to introduce you to the spiritual stuff. That's what Jesus did with the bread and the fish or the, yeah, the loaves and the fishes. All right, moving on. Youth outreach, recognizing that younger generations are the future initiatives aimed at youth, such as mentorship programs, sports activities, or arts and craft sessions can attract families and ensure continuity of the congregation. But if you, if you have a gym, you're going to hell. So we can do all of this, but we cannot have a gym. Because if we have a gym, now wait a second, you can have a basketball goal in the parking lot, but you can't have a gym. You can put a basketball goal in the parking lot, but if you, if you cover that basketball goal with a box that keeps the wind and the rain off of it, and then you put some lights in it so you can see, well, now you've got a gym and you're going to hell. You get it now? You think we've been become so distinct we become disfigured? I heard Dan Winkler talk about the T-Nog. Do y'all know what a T-Nog is? It's a building and it's called This Is Not a Gym. T-I-N-A-G. T-Nog. This is not a gym. I think that's all I'm going to say about that. 
So I've already talked about youth outreach as far as the after school programs and stuff like that. The church can do that. All right. Social services. I'm going to read this out loud and work through it. Given the mentioned concerns about the crime that we've discussed, the church could set up or collaborate with existing programs aimed at crime prevention, rehabilitation, or support for effective families. And we've already talked about that. Katie, oh, I can't remember. Yeah, Katie talked about the one in Alabama, the 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 church-supported rehab facility. All right, hosting community events. You're going to have to figure out what you can do in your community within the boundary of God's word. So a really good community event, remember, we're dealing with a demographic shift, high crime, stuff like that. So why not have a big community event where you have a barbecue and you feed all of the first responders? And what you do, and you're going to have to take some time in doing this, you start at five in the morning, you figure out when the night shift gets off of work and you start then. So you may start at five in the morning and you have a breakfast and then you have, you, you staff that kitchen all day and then you put out lunch at around noon and then you go to four or five o'clock now that's a huge event it takes dedication it takes energy it's going to take some money but you make a big deal about it and all of the first responders all of the policemen all of the firemen they're able to come to the church building and you show appreciation with them by feeding them and you pray with each one of them. Hold their hand and pray if you can. My God in heaven, we don't leverage human touch enough anymore. Whenever I would go uh, visit people at the, at the NEA Baptist Memorial Hospital, it never failed. I'd, I'd be on the elevator with somebody and I'd just look at him and I'd say, hey, how is your loved one doing? I never had somebody not tell me. And then I would say, do you mind if we pray for them together really quickly? And I've, I've never, well, I had one person tell me no. But I would, I would always touch their hand, their elbow, or their shoulder and pray with them for their loved one. I don't know. What are your thoughts on activities or events like trunk or treat? My thoughts on activities or events like trunk or treat is they are matters of expedience and therefore fall under the purview of the autonomous authority of the local congregation. It may be, in, okay, at Riverview Church of Christ, because of the background of 70% of the congregants, we can't have a trunk or treat. We can't look in any way like we're celebrating Halloween. We just can't. And it's because of the, of the baggage that my brethren bring from their culture in the continent of Africa. To them, voodoo, witch doctors, evil spirits, and all that, to them, that's real. And you don't mess with them, even, even with something as innocent as children's play. So here we couldn't do that. But 
Mm, excuse me, hold on. At the congregation where you are, if if the if the leadership, if the congregation, the elders or the the congregation as a whole, in lieu of elders, decides that it's expedient, then you can do it. It's a shame that our children are inside all day at daycare or after school time and not out in the neighborhood anymore. The same for adults. TV and internet take up too much of our time. You got that right. And again, that's one of the that's one of the things that probably one of the socio political um, ingredients that bakes this terrible cake of declining attendance in local churches and stuff like that. Um, Katie Smith has agreed because of the sheer number of denominations in my town. I feel like if we did it through the Lord's church, we would just blend in to the point of where it was just another place to get candy. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. So that's, that's a good point that then probably you don't need to do it, but another congregation would be able to do it. I know of one congregation that every Sunday on Easter, they hide Easter eggs and they have the Easter bunny come and the little kids just go nuts. I'm not going to tell you which congregation that is because I don't want you calling them. Right, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying you Katie. I'm just saying, I'm not going to say what congregation that is, but I know more than one. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I do not think that we could do it up here again for the same reason. We couldn't have a trunk or treat. Um, so host community events. We've covered that. We just got three more, eight, nine, and 10 diversity and leadership folks. Get well should have hired a black preacher and not just any black preacher. They should have hired a black preacher. That was just a little ghetto. I don't care. Go kick rocks if you don't like that. Remember, I've seen what makes people cheer, so their booze don't mean anything to me. I believe, and I say this with all love, they, they kept trying to be the white-collar affluent congregation in the inner city. And so when, if, if they did go out in the community and have somebody come on a Sunday morning, you have a disenfranchised, disheartened young black man. Maybe his wife is with him and you have a white preacher with white elders and a white congregation telling them how much they need to change and in their mind, how white they need to get in order to be a Christian. Now, I don't believe there's a soul. I don't believe there's a soul at that congregation that would have articulated that. But that's the way it would have come across. If, if I were going to plant a congregation in Harlem, I wouldn't send people who were so white that if they were any more white, they'd be clear. It has nothing to do with racism. It has everything to do with the reason Timothy was circumcised and Titus was not.
Yeah, they had a black elder. He split the church. Well, then they need to. They need to get. They need. They then that was an issue, you know. Um, and honestly, and this is going to again. I don't deal in should or should nots. I deal with is or is nots. It is the case that the congregation, the community views the congregation the way they view the preacher. And whether they had a black elder or not, it's important that the preacher, because he is in the preeminent, I'm not saying he's authoritative, but he's the one that's out front. He's the figurehead. When people, whenever people see, quote unquote, see a representation of the church in the community, it's typically the preacher. Somebody does a radio advertisement, it's the preacher. Somebody does a commercial for the television, it's the preacher. Somebody that's on a billboard, it's the preacher. If you're going to have a congregation where Get Well was, if you're going to have a congregation in Harlem, you need a you need a you need a preacher that matches the demographic of your area. And I'm not saying again that's I'm that, that's not a rule that's hard and fast. I know a congregation where the only black faces in that congregation are four: the preacher, his wife, and his two children. But again, that's just that's just it, it is what it is. Those kind of activities would have been very hard during one of the lectures one year. We heard gunshots coming from the apartment complex next to the building. So what? If it was easy, everybody be doing it. The people that were living there were there. That's my point. And the people that were living there need the gospel. We only want to take the gospel where it's safe to do so. See how that works? Forgive me if my comment came off as tone deaf. My point was that there were people of color in the congregation, even in leadership. They had some deep-rooted issues that hindered them from doing more. Then they should have solved those issues. That's the thing. Again, I, I know all about, well, I say I know all about that. I understand that, but that doesn't negate what I'm saying. You know, they, they, they were not a victim of things that happened to them. They were culpable in their own demise. And they were not a congregation that were reflective of the community. In fact, they, again, I wouldn't have just put any black preacher in there. He would, he would need to be a little rough around the edges because I've, I mean, I've, I've been in rough crowds and it, they're, they're just things that are different. I don't, I don't want to say any more than that. Um, there, are, there are people who are black that would, that would not do well in that neighborhood. There are people who are white that would do really well. Typically, those people, they're not well thought of by our brotherhood at large. They're not going to be the people that are on the Lecture ships are not going to be the people that are invited to speak at polishing the pulpit. They're going to be the people that are in the trenches that are unpolished, that do the work. That's the kind of preacher that get well needed. That's the kind of elders 
that get well needed. And they obviously were not. They were more concerned with other things. And it shows. I agree. My comments weren't meant to be in opposition to anything you said. I think your finger is on the pulse and your comments are solid here. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very intense right now because like I said, the, well, first off, I'm uncomfortable talking about race because I've been burnt. I, I, I just thought that anybody should be able to, I mean, if, if something is, if something is self-evident, we ought to be able to talk about it, but people get all crazy whenever white people talk about race. Um, now I'm not, I'm, I'm intense for that reason, but two, I'm intense for, I'm serious. I've got mixed emotions. I'm saddened greatly that this congregate congregation lost its doors, lost its doors, <laughs> shut its doors. I'm, I'm, I'm sad that the get well area lost this congregation. But again, like you said, there's, there's, we, we could deconstruct it, but we, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Um, generally and when it comes to like you said the leadership and there was representation you it's possible and i'm going to say this it would have been possible that the entire congregation could have been black yet not be representative of the community so it's not really a skin color thing more of it more as it is a cultural thing well like for instance in in east tennessee or we'll just take Northwest Tennessee, the hills where I grew up. It ta- in order for a congregation to thrive there, it takes a certain type of leadership. It needs to be reflective of the demographic. So you wouldn't have, I think about, um, I think I, I, I see this guy. I don't know. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Y'all know him. Um, He's Harvard educated. His 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 father is a I believe a professor or at least holds a doctorate. Um, so he's legacies. He's legacied as far as educated and stuff. Um, he he's he just wouldn't do well in certain areas. So he needs to go where he will do well. That that's I can't think of his name. I wish I could think of his name. Um, yes, they need good, good example. They need a D Berry type of preacher. John D Berry would have been very good for for them. He really would have. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, I can, I can think of, I can think of a guy in Arkansas that's a, a graduate of Memphis School of Preaching. He would have been real good for me. His name's Travis Island. But again, it's I don't want to I want to dive off in that. Let me let me get let me get Barry's comment. Um, congregations must learn to be as wise as serpents in their community. That's exactly correct. And again, it's it's not just about it's not just about skin color and oh we got we got four elders and we're in the inner city and we have two black elders and two white elders. So we're good. That's I'm having a hard time putting my finger on what I'm trying to say, because here's the deal. 
a black man and a white man who live in an affluent part of town that make $250,000 a year, they are as culturally different from the black man and the white man living in the inner city as somebody in Tanzania is from somebody that lives in Canada. And it has nothing to do with with skin tone. Nothing to do with skin tone. It has everything to do with demographics. So anyway, that's the point. They they had to have changed. They had to have they had to have totally reinvented their identity. Yeah, Aaron Dotson, right. It's not merely skin color. It's a cultural thing too. Uh, you got to understand the gospel, uh, the people of the community, and the times. That's exactly right. It, it perhaps it's more about mentality than appearance. Yes, I was listening to um, who? It's not Denzel Washington. Well, yeah, it, is. it was Denzel Washington. Um, he was talking to an interviewer, and the interviewer was asking him about representation and stuff like that. And he said, "Look, it's not it's not race; it's culture." Uh, who directed Schindler's List? Come on. S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R. Director. Steven Spielberg. He said, do you think that Steven Spielberg, that any, he said, uh, hey, hey, Spike Lee could have directed Schindler's List and probably done a pretty good job. But he would not have done it the way Steven Spielberg did it because of Steven Spielberg's culture. Just like, for instance, uh, a movie about black culture in the South, um, he used the example of every, every black person in this audience, he said, knows exactly what sensation and smell and sound I mean, whenever I talk about a hot curling iron hitting your hair. And I thought that was profound. It's not about race. It's it's about culture. And it's, again, black people and white people share the same culture if they're living in the same area and they're experiencing the same things. So you've got in South side of Chicago, you've got Hispanics, you have African-Americans, you have white people. All of them are the same. They all are part of the same culture. You would not send me into the South side of Chicago to plant a congregation. You would need somebody that is intimately familiar with that culture. And it wouldn't matter if they're black or white or Hispanic or any other race. It has to do with culture. And I'm probably said way more than I should have. And I've given people, <laughs> given, given my detractors probably enough to start snipping clips. Um, yeah, you have to meet people where they are. And Rob Collier says, until Saul or Paul became an apostle, Jesus used rough around the edges non-polished folks to represent him. That's it. Yeah, Acts 4.13. You got it. 
You've got it. All right. Let, let's finish this out. I, we're, we've done, it's like a sunk cost fallacy. We've already, we've already invested in, in this list. So we're going to finish it. Engage in dialogues, hosting open forums where community members can voice their concerns, hopes, and needs can provide valuable feedback for the church. These forums encourage active listening and understanding. That's denominational. Let me filter that and convert it. The West End Church of Christ in Knoxville, Tennessee is a huge congregation, and they're growing. I talked uh, several years ago to one of their elders for a few hours. Loved him. Good conversation. I want to know why are y'all why are y'all six hundred members? He chalked it up to how well the elders knew the people and how much they were in the community. And he said, we have more going on than the average member could do if they tried to do it all. But he said, I think the main thing is every month, or it may be twice a month, we have a meet the shepherds and it's, it's organized. So, you know, this, you know, you have this group of people this month are able to go to the fellowship hall. We have a little bit of refreshments and that is their time to talk to the shepherds about anything. It doesn't matter what it is, any concern that they have, anything they need prayed for, any trouble they're having, any, any direction they think the church is going in that they think it shouldn't. And we want them to feel heard and validated and like they matter. Well, that's what this engaging dialogue, I think, should be. Make sure that every member feels validated and heard. I tell you what, uh, the men at Riverview met uh, a couple months ago uh, because somebody said we ought to have a singing, uh, a, a singing service more often. So the men that were at the men's meeting, we were like, all right, somebody suggested this. I think we ought to do it. Okay. Let's do it on Wednesday nights because Sundays can get a little hectic. Who's seconds? Yeah, let's go. All right. So we wrapped a gap proverbial gavel and announced it Sunday that, Hey, the, the, the four, the final Sunday of every month on, or excuse me, the final Wednesday on every month, we're going to have that whole hour of nothing but singing. Well, I had somebody come up to me, come up and talk to me after the service. Like, Hey, Listen, we, everybody wants to come back on, on Wednesday night, but we are, we're, we're here. We're immigrants. We're working. We're trying to, to get established. And he didn't say this, but basically we all got oxes in ditches and we're trying to get them out and, and we're here when we can, but I think it would be better if instead of doing it on Wednesday, let's do it on Sunday, the afternoon service. And I didn't tell him we would, because I couldn't unilaterally make that decision. But I said, man, I, I'm, I'm hearing you. I think we need to talk about that and, and uh, let's keep it the way it is for a moment. But then at the next business meeting, let's, let's talk about changing it. Folks, we changed it because it, would, it didn't hurt anything to change it. And leaving it like it was would cause somebody to feel disenfranchised and disheartened, like their voice didn't matter. So it was a no-brainer. Just change it. Let's, you know, it's not a tradition. We haven't even had one of these singing sessions yet. We announced it for Wednesday. 
Well, Tony, what if you look indecisive? Well, what if? And let me tell you something. That that last Sunday of last month, we we said goodbye to one of our members' parents who were going back to Africa, the continent of Africa, for the winter. I try to say the continent of Africa. I think Africa has like 77 countries. They're going back to Nigeria for the winter because they said we can't handle the snow. And there was like almost 40 people in attendance. We were stacked in there like sardines. And at the end of the session, we all held hands. Well, we locked arms and uh, stood around in a circle. And we sang God's family to the people that were going back to the continent of Africa until spring. And we had people weeping one, one person like this is what, this is a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Why in the world would we have stopped that dialogue and invalidated that person that said, well, it's good that we're having these singing, these singing services, but I think we need to do them on Sunday. Could we do that? Anyway, number 10. Yes, song services can be so encouraging. There's a lot of good teachings in songs. All right, this, this is it. We're going to wrap this up. Number 10, invest in community projects. Let me read this and then filter it through the scriptures. Direct involvement in community enhancement projects such as neighborhood cleanups, community gardens, or housing initiatives showcases the church's commitment to bettering its environment. Let me ask you something. And again, we're going to have to we're going to have to come down on our high off our high horse. What would be the harm in going to a public park, getting permission from the city, obviously, but going to a public park and spending church funds on beautifying that park and letting and letting the the community know you you did it? Folks, that falls under benevolence and edification because if the church is a representation of the community, then that means people of the congregation are going to be using those public parks. How, how would it be unscriptural if again, given all things, all your T's are crossed and your eyes are dotted or your eyes are crossed and your T's are dotted. If you had a little section with some playground equipment, that you allowed the neighborhood kids to play on. You put a basketball goal in your parking lot. You had a little playground for neighborhood kids. Now, again, you had to make sure all your T's were in a T's were crossed and your eyes were dotted, but there would absolutely, in fact, it's not just that there would be nothing wrong with that. Everything is good about it. And now the response I get from some of my brethren is, well, Tony, that's not how you need to spend the church's money. Well, how do you spend the church's money? Well, we can't put a basketball goal up and we can't put a little playground up. But what I can do is I can, I can go hire a heathen to mow the lawn and to paint lines on the parking lot. What I can do is I can go to the co-op and I can buy a bunch of cow manure and feed the grass, but I can't spend any money to go buy groceries and feed 
the community. I can't, I can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware and get paint and beautify the building, but I cannot go to Lowe's or Home Depot or Ace Hardware and get paint to beautify a section of a city park. I don't know. I have to go to work, but I was glad I was able to watch and participate. Have a good day, everyone. Katie Smith, thank you so much. And I'm done. Folks, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. We are authorized as the Lord's church to minister. And we are, I'm going to use the word commanded, to minister to the communities. If we can do this, if we can cast aside these shackles of traditions of man that have held us down in the past, we wouldn't have to deal with these congregations closing. There is a song that says, brighten the corner where you are. That's a good end on Rita. Folks, I want to thank every one of you. You know, there were there were times in this podcast where I was struggling and I was it was hard for me to form sentences and complete my thoughts because I was in the area of things that I haven't quite frankly fleshed out yet. Cogitations is literally my stream of consciousness. I, I very rarely have any notes. I, I mean, I did have some notes for today, but I very rarely have any notes. It's mostly off the top of my head. Here lately, I've been reading the articles I've been writing for uh, the the platform here that you see on this side of your screen, um, but but it's all just my stream of consciousness. So you know, there's some things that we can scrutinize. There's probably some things, some some things that we could make better. Some things that I should have said better. But I think everybody, okay, I think everybody wants to do what is right and wants to make sure that we don't ever get any other news like we got for GetWell. Let's use GetWell's closing as a, as a cautionary tale and a point of introspection, and let's make sure that individually we are being salt and light. And if every individual is making sure that individually they are being salt and light, then that means the congregation, which is made up of individuals, will in fact be salt and light. And that's all I've got. I'm going to tell you, I, I do need, I shouldn't have done this earlier. Um, we have a sponsor for this program that I didn't even read it. I got so, I got so, um, caught up. Um, let me, let me get her email up here. Our sponsor for today's show is Lindsay Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. And you can contact her there, her email. Come on now. There we go. Her email is on the screen. Are you a part of a congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson today. 
And for those of you that ask about supporting the podcast, you can send a tip, uh, any amount of money you want to near churches at Gmail, or you can do Patreon or buy me a coffee. You can be a subscriber on this platform right here, but we'd love you to follow us anywhere. And if you want to support the podcast and you don't want to do anything monetarily or you're unable, be the algorithm for us, like subscribe, share all that good stuff. Any social media platform that you have, share our content and invite your friends. Folks, this is Cogitations with Tony Brewer. We've been talking about my mixed emotions about the closing of Get Well. I am saddened. I am cautious. I'm introspective. I want to make sure we don't go that way up here. And I pray that I have come across as critical in a godly way and that I've just been real. And that's the only thing that I can ask. Pray for us. Support the work of of uh, Christianity now. That is not a work of any congregation or any Lord's church. That's just us, me and Aaron Dotson. And that's all I've got. Subscribe on the podcast. It's been Tony Brew with Cogitations. Thank you for watching. We've been well attended. And we'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>